Well, thank you so much for having me back. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Todd. Uh, you know, your pastor is so generous and hospitable and and gracious, and uh, I am just blessed to call him my good buddy. And uh, and I and I can't imagine being anywhere else but right here with you. I told uh, Todd and Tony as we were this was early, early, early this morning, somewhere around seven thirty. Uh, we were walking through uh, the gathering hall and then up the stairs, and I said, you know, it it's familiar, but it's it's uh, it's it's kind of oddly strange to be doing that. And then last hour when I came up and was standing here, I knew I was back home. It just felt right. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you once again for allowing me to be present here. My wife, where are you, Rosemary? You're, where, oh, she's at Possibilities, isn't she? Or, or something like that? Okay, well, she's out there somewhere. Uh, Taylor, um, our daughter and her husband Ross are right there. Why don't you just stand up real quick so uh, they can see you. Uh, Taylor and, uh, and Ross live here in Northern Virginia, right by Dulles Airport. And uh, Taylor is working with the Loudoun County Public Schools. And our son Hunter is now engaged. And uh, that just happened uh, while we were in Mexico, in fact. Uh, is engaged to be married. He will uh, also be finishing uh, medical school uh, in February of this coming year of 2024. And uh, so we were really excited about that. So he's going to graduate actually in May, uh, uh, May 11th, 2024 from uh, Kent State Medical School there in Ohio. And then two weeks later, he gets married in Jacksonville, Florida. So, and we're in Mexico during that time. So we're going to be uh, flying to Cleveland and then over here and then down to Jacksonville and then back to to Guadalajara. So we've got a busy, busy, busy May in store. I thought you'd like to know a little bit about what we've been doing. You know, right after we retired, we put the house on the market. It sold on the very day that we put the house on the market. And so we were officially homeless. And uh, thanks to my mom, who has a, had a, a condo on, uh, on the beach at Virginia Beach, Norfolk area, uh, Rosemary and I have been able to, to move in there, and we absolutely love uh, living there. We are truly blessed to be able to be right there on the beach, and uh, it is a dynamite place to live, absolutely fantastic. But for those of you who've known me for a long time, know that I've had a, this dream to live internationally. I mean, for a 10, 15 years, I've been talking about it, and, and I thought for sure we were going to retire and move to Ecuador. That's what we were going to do. Uh, we wanted to do that. We visited Ecuador. We fell, fell in love with it. And then, uh, not long ago, uh, they had a national election, and it seems to me that they kind of lost their minds and shut down the city, and for two weeks, the place we were going to be living was shut down, and they couldn't uh, get food in, or uh, nobody could get out, and we thought, you know, I just don't need this in retirement. 
you know, not going to leave here and go there to do that. So where were we going to go? We found this amazing, beautiful, wonderful, safe place in uh, Mexico. Uh, it's a great place with a funny name. It's uh, called Ajijic, A-J-I-J-I-C, Ajijic, and it's on Mexico's largest freshwater lake. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's a mile above sea level, about the uh, about the altitude of Denver. So we're in a tropical latitude at an alpine altitude, which means that the temperature most of the year is in the 70s. And uh, it does get it to 85 in the month of May. But after that, that's the hot month. The, the hottest month of the year is the month of May, and then it's back in the 70s. Uh, and so uh, we are really enjoying living in Mexico. But I just thought you, that's uh, outside of our home. Uh, it's taken from our sunroom uh, there uh, at the sunset over the lake there in Mexico. You can tell it is a drop-dead gorgeous place to be. That's how I got all this sun right here. That's why my hair is turning red before it gets too gray. And uh, so it's all from Mexico. All right. Well, you know, today we are celebrating eight years. It's our eighth anniversary between two major events in the life of our church. And that is the walk day when we walk those three and a half miles from uh, our uh, former campus in Glen Eagles here to our new campus on Ox Road. And then the next Sunday, which was the first Sunday in August, is the anniversary of our uh, first service in this building. And uh, I just thought maybe you'd like to remember that walk day with me. If, uh, if you weren't there, you can remember it by what you're about to see. Yeah, that was an amazing, amazing day. God has done incredible things with us and through us here at Christ Church. All right, so before I get on any further, uh, many of you have been to the Holy Land with me over the years. Uh, over 200 of you actually have been uh, walking the footsteps of Jesus and Moses and Paul. Well, uh, in the fall of 2024, I'm going to be uh, leading a tour in Greece and Turkey on Paul's journey, as well as the seven churches in the book of Revelation that are in Turkey. We're going to do this in the fall 2024. I put up a sign-up sheet after the first service, and I just counted. There are 59 people already who said they're interested in getting the information about going. So if you would like to do that, I'm just simply going to leave this pad of paper and some pens right here. If you're interested, no obligation to get your name on the list, and I'll be getting you information about when we're going and what we're going to be doing and the cost and all of that kind of stuff. But 2024 in the fall. Okay, so 
I want to start by uh, telling you a couple of things. First of all, if there's one thing that I have learned, one thing that I know that I know that I know since, uh, uh, since I've been here, and that is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, no matter how good your past has been, the best is yet to be. I want you to say, the best is yet to be. All right, say this. I didn't hear that. Say, the best is yet to be. That's right. The best is yet to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, no matter how good your past has been, the very best is yet to be. I want to start by telling you three quick stories, two from the Old Testament, and one, well, compared to the first two in the Old Testament, is pretty recent history. It's about how God used a small handful of faithful men and women here in Northern Virginia to grow and build this place where we know today as Christ Church. I just simply want to remind us of what God has been about. First story, story number one out of the book of Exodus. It's in your, uh, on your sermon notes. You'll find them there. You'll also find a pen or a pencil and seat back. But Exodus chapter 17, here we go. Let's get story number one. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel moved from place to place, Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people and take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. God's word for us. That's story number one. Here's the deal. After 400 years, 400 years in slavery in Egypt, finally, 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 the Israelites were free. Finally, God parted the water of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. He parted it and they walked through on dry ground. Then the water came back and swallowed up Pharaoh's army. Finally, the, the, slave, the chains of slavery were broken. Finally, they were on their way to the promised land. But you know, it wasn't long into that journey before they started getting upset. They were upset because they had been walking and they were thirsty. I understand that. I've been thirsty and, you know, you can, you just say, why, you know, I wish I'd have brought water. I'm thirsty. I need something to drink. Well, they were doing that and they were starting to complain to Moses. Now, I will tell you that the scripture did use the word complained, but if you keep reading, they were furious. They weren't just, they weren't just complaining. They wanted to kill Moses. They wanted him dead for bringing them out of Egypt. They wanted to go back and get back in slavery, get back in the chains, go back to Egypt, because at least they had some water to drink. But before they started that march back to Egypt, God told Moses to take his staff and to strike a rock at the base of Mount Sinai. 
And then this is what God said. He told Moses, he said, I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. I love that verse right there. Look at that again. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. You know what that means, don't you? God was saying, look, you're not here by accident. I didn't bring you out here to drop you off. You're not here by mistake. I'm with you. I know you're thirsty. I got your back. I'm going to be with you all the way. I'm going to stand before you right here on the rock at Mount Sinai. Got to love it. What did Moses do? He took his staff, he struck that rock, and out of a bone-dry rock, out of a bone-dry desert, water came gushing out of that rock. You know what the Lord did? He brought water where there was no water. He brought hope where there was no hope. He brought life where there was no life. Why is that important for us? Because God wants you to know, He wanted the Israelites to know that God is with us. I want us to say it together. Ready? God is with us. Say it like you mean it. God is with us. That's what God wants you to know. That's what God wanted the Israelites to know. That we are not here by accident. That God is with us. Story number two. So, For every single day for 40 years, God led. Every single day for 40 years, God provided. And now the Israelites were standing on the banks of the Jordan River. They could see the promised land. It was just over there. They were standing on the banks, but there was a river that was separating them from the very place God told them that he was promising that they would occupy. And there was a river standing between them keeping them from occupying that very place that God had promised. So what were they going to do? How were they going to get across that river? That current was strong. Those waters were deep. How could they get across there with all the Israelites in tow? God spoke to Joshua and he said, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the priests, the ones who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, now, you remember the Ark of the Covenant. That was the, that was the, the box God uh, demanded that they build so that they would always know that God was right there in their midst, that God was living there. He was dwelling there. He was physically occupying the top of the Ark of the Covenant. That's where he lived. And they were carrying him to this new place where he was being, they were being called to go. So what were they going to do? God says, here's what I want you to do. Told Joshua, tell the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to step into the water. You can imagine what they must have been thinking. What are you talking about? Stepping into the water? <laughs> that, 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 that current is strong. Those waters are deep. We could drown there. The the Ark of the Covenant could wash downstream. We could lose God in the midst of all of this. He said, that's what God told me to tell you. Take the Ark of the Covenant and start walking into the river. You can imagine what the Israelites must have been thinking because they stepped into the river. 
And that river didn't part. That river wasn't going down. The water was flowing just as fast and uh, deep as it was before. So they step in and they're up to their ankles. They continue to go and they're up to their knees. They continue to go and they're up to their waist. They continue to go and they're up in their chest. What was God going to do? Did he call them all this way to drown them all in the river just in sight of the promised land? Well, of course not. But they stood there, trusting God. God was with them. And they stood there in the river, in the current, where it seemed like it was impossible just to get to the other side. And as they stood there in faith, trusting that God was going to lead them, that God was with them, that the best was still yet to be, the water began to subside. And it went down and went down and went down and went down and went down until they could all cross that Jordan River and finally, finally get to the place on the other side. Here's what happened. Joshua chapter 4. Here it says this. You'll find it on the screen as well as on your outline. When all the people had crossed the Jordan... The, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan and carry them out and pile them up at the place where you're going to camp tonight. We will use these stones to build a memorial. Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children are going to ask you, What do these stones mean? And you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and He kept it dry until you were all across. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and that you might honor the Lord your God forever. God's word for us. Why was it important that they take those 12 stones and build a memorial? It's important for them. It was important for us because God wants us to know and to remember just like them that we are here by God's grace. Let's say it together. We are here by God's grace. One more time. We are here by God's grace. We are not an accident. The Lord didn't bring us this far to drop us off. We are not an accident. In fact, you know that we have 12 stones to remind us of what God has done in our midst. Where are those 12 stones? We built a memorial to be reminded exactly what God has done for the people of Christ church. Where are those stones? Where? Out front. In that fountain. What do we have going coming out of that out of the rock water God provided water where there was no water life where there was no life he made it possible he turned the impossible to the possible and then surrounding all of that 12 stones to be reminded we're not here by accident we are here by the grace of God 
And every time you drive up to this church, every time you walk by this church, every time you go by 123 and you see that fountain, you can be reminded that we are here by God's grace and that the best is always with God yet to be and that God is with us. You can know it. You can remember it because of that. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because we got short memories. We got short memories, people. About five years ago, I came across a story that I really love, and I'll share this with you. It was an elderly couple who were having difficulty with uh, remembering things. And they were concerned about their memory, so they decided to go to the doctor and have it checked out. They were checked out. Everything turned out fine. Doctor said, look, you're having trouble remembering things because as you get older, that's just what happens. You need to write things down. If you want to make sure you remember things, just simply write them down. And that way you'll get everything accomplished. They thanked the doctor. They went home that night, sitting in the family room watching TV, and uh, the husband gets up and starts heading toward the kitchen. She said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go in the kitchen. I want to get a bowl of ice cream. And uh, she said, don't you think you ought to write that down? And he said, no, honey, I, I got it. But she said, well, wait a minute, but I, I want a bowl of ice cream too. Okay, I'll get you a bowl of ice cream. Don't you think you ought to write that down? No, honey, I got it. You want a bowl? I want a bowl. It'll be fine. But I want some strawberries on top of my ice cream. Don't you think you ought to write that down? No, honey, I really do. I, I, you want a bowl? I want a bowl. You want ice, uh, ice cream and strawberries? I got it. But I also want whipped cream on top of my strawberries on top of the ice cream. I really think you ought to write this down. Well, he was kind of getting a bit perturbed. And he said, as nice as he could, honey, listen to me. I've got it. I know what you want. You want a bowl of ice cream with ice cream and strawberries and whipped cream. I just want a bowl of ice cream. I'm going to the kitchen. I'm getting it. And so he went. 20 minutes later, he comes back and presents her with a plate of bacon and eggs. And, he, and she says, I knew it. I knew you were going to mess this up. You forgot my toast. Uh, folks, you know, sometimes we just have short memories. And we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of what is important. We need to be reminded that we are not alone. We need to be reminded that we're not an accident. We need to be reminded that God is with us. We need to be reminded that we are here by the grace of God. Story number three. It all started back in 1987. I told you, recent history compared to the first two. 1987. When, when, uh, when a pastor named Charles Hubbard, his picture, well, I don't, yeah, there he is. His, this was the first pastor of Christ Church, Charles Hubbard. By the way, I, when I was in Mexico, Rosemary and I were in Mexico, uh, sometime around March or so, I discovered that uh, Pastor Hubbard had just passed away. So uh, our first 
pastor has uh, passed away, Charles Hubbard. Anyway, God had called him to form a new church right here in Northern Virginia in the South County area. And so uh, he pulled a small group of people together to form the nucleus of the church and began meeting at the old Lorton Elementary School right next to 95. I believe it's the Fairfax County Transportation Center or or something right now. Anyway, uh, the church met for a solid year before it ever had a name. In fact, it was just simply called the New Church in Lorton. The New Church in Lorton. But... As the time went on, a year had passed, and they knew they needed to name the church and have an official name, so uh, they decided to, to uh, pull the congregation and find out what the names were. Well, two choices rose to the top. One was South Run Church, and the other was Christ Church. So they gathered the congregation together. Of course, that whole congregation was about 30 people, but they gathered the congregation together and asked everyone to write down their choice. Paper ballots were passed out, folded. The leadership collected them, took them off to the side to tally up the votes, and it was a tie. Half wanted South Run Church, the other half wanted Christ Church. As the pastor was stepping forward to tell them uh, that they were going to have to vote again, a little girl named Jennifer Harworth stepped up and handed the pastor a piece of paper and said, nobody took my vote. And so he opened it and told the, uh, the congregation that Christ had won. And you know something, folks? Christ has been winning here ever since. He's been winning here ever since. Christ won then, and he's been winning right here ever since. Now, on September the 11th, 1988, uh, the church moved from the old Lorton uh, School to a brand spanking new elementary school that was just now open to students, and that was at the Silverbrook Elementary School. We moved from there to the cafeteria at Silverbrook, and what a perfect location it was for the people of Christ Church. Cross Point, the community was just uh, under construction. New homes were going up. The community center, the pool, and the tennis courts were under construction, and the developer set aside five acres right next to the pool, the the community center, and the tennis courts for a church. Well, we were able to get it. And we were now at Silverbrook Elementary, which was right across the street from all of that. And God began to do a work. But as God was forming a very strong nucleus of the church, for some reason, the church just wouldn't thrive. It wouldn't grow. And the bishop uh, invited a young, uh, naive pastor living in San Antonio at the time in 1992 to come pastor Christ Church. And there's me and there's Rosemary, that's Hunter who's graduating from medical school uh, right here, and Taylor who is back there with her husband Ross. And uh, invited us to come to be the pastor at Christ Church. I remember, like it was yesterday, coming in, being greeted by Bill and Amy Meyerly, a wonderful uh, couple right here who are founding members of Christ Church and have been with us ever since that time. But after 
uh, we had gotten settled, I went down into the office, which was in the parsonage in uh, the neighborhood of Newington Forest, went down where the church office is in the basement, and there was a folder on the desk that just had two words on a sticky note that said, need attention. I opened it up, and it was a stack of bills along with a balance sheet that showed that we had no money. Welcome to Christ Church! <laughs> From there, my boss, our district superintendent, invited me to his office. This was about a week, maybe two weeks after I had been here, and said, you know, uh, John, uh, you're here for one reason, and you've got one of two things you need to do and accomplish over this next year. Okay, well, what are they? said, one, you're either going to need to grow the church or you're need to going to close it next June. It will cease being a church next June unless you find a way to grow the church. Well, I had an amazing group of leaders. It was really a good group. And I, uh, one of the things I did was I, I met with each one of them and asked them two questions. One, why do you, why do you come, come to Christ Church? Why would anybody choose to come to Christ Church? I mean, that's a legitimate question. I mean, right? I mean, we were meeting in an elementary school in a cafeteria. I mean, besides a very, very, very part-time secretary and somebody to play the keyboard, you're looking at the staff. This was it. You know, we had no place to call our own. And there were many vibrant churches around us. Why in the world would anybody choose to come to Christ Church? Well, I got one overwhelming answer, but not 100%, but overwhelmingly, the answer was, well, it's close. <laughs> well, that's a good reason to go to a grocery store, but a lousy reason to choose a church. A real, real lousy reason to choose a church. Second thing we decided to do is we needed to find out then who God is calling us to be. Were we going to be the standard cookie cutter church on the corner? Or were we going to be something that God wanted to do in our midst that is new and fresh and reaching people for Jesus in a way they hadn't been reached before? So we did several things. We had Bible study and we studied uh, uh, what God was calling a church, his church, to be about by looking at the New Testament church. Second thing we did was we read Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church book. And by just before Easter in 1993, the church council adopted a vision statement that would still guide us even to this day. And it says this, look at this. Now, now remember, we had about 30 people, maybe 35 people at this point. And this is what God, was, we, our church leadership adopted. We believe that Christ's church is God's church, and we desire to follow where he leads. Believing that God calls his people to live by faith, we believe God's vision for Christ's church to be a place where everybody is welcomed in an atmosphere of love and acceptance, where forgiveness abounds and encouragement thrives. A place where the good news of Jesus Christ can be shared with the residents, not only of our nearby community, but all of Northern Virginia. A place where thousands of people are welcomed into the life, ministry, and mission of the church. A church family that laughs and cries together and lives in harmony with each other. 
A church where every believer is equipped to use his spiritual gifts and ministry at home, at work, and play. A place where every believer will be nurtured and discipled into spiritual maturity through Bible studies, retreats, seminars, small groups. A place from where we will send one missionary to every continent around the world and send our members on mission projects, both in the United States and around the world. A place that births another church somewhere in northern Virginia. A place on enough land to be a regional church, a church with attractive, efficient facilities for worship, Christian education, a Christian school, a youth center, counseling center, and elder care. Although this vision is beyond our ability and resources, it is well within the ability of the one who has revealed it to us. Did you catch where we had about 35 people? <laughs> and we were so broke they couldn't pay my salary and couldn't afford the rent at the school. A place that births another church in Northern Virginia. Good grief, we wanted to be birthed ourselves. We were so poor we didn't have a pot to take up a collection in. And yet... Our leaders were saying God was calling us to do something greater than any one of us could ever do. To be a church that, that recognizes that we're going to be here by the grace of God or that we are here by the grace of God. A church that knows that God is with us. A church that is willing to trust in the midst of what seemed to be impossible. And that's how we got to where we are today. Because we had a group of leaders, Bill being one of them, who was willing to trust God when there was no, no reason that you could see to trust that God was going to do something great among us. It's like the Israelites standing on the bank of the Jordan River with the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant and standing in the midst of the river and still the water is flowing, the current is moving, and the water is deep. They were standing there in the midst of the river still believing that God somehow, way, was going to part that water to get them to the place where he had called them to go and to begin with. And that's what we believe that God is doing and has been doing and will continue to do right here in our midst. Why do we need those 12 stones? Why do we need the water gushing out of the rock? Because we got short memories. We forget what it took God to do in order to get us here. And God did great things in us and through us and frankly when I was the pastor here in spite of us. That's the God we serve. And I was thinking about it this week and I was remembering this. I tell you if there's when I looked at when I stepped back and realized how humanly impossible it was to get where we are. I remember the story from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19 when, when, 
when God was talking to a young man about what it really means to love God and love others and live out the gospel life. Chapter 19, verse 26 says, Jesus looked at the man intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, let's read, everything is possible. And that's the faith on which we stand today, the promise that we continue to live in. And for the last 30 years, or 31 years for me now, I've had the privilege of being a part of what God is doing in us and through us and in spite of us. And now God has raised up a new leader and gave, given him the everything that he needs to continue the journey, just like from Moses to Joshua, and here we go. That's what's happening in our midst. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are not here by accident. God is with us. We are here by the grace of God. And the one thing too that I know is that the best, what? Is yet to be. Yes, the best is yet to be. And we give God thanks. In Jesus' name. Get it? Good. Let's pray. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. You are so amazingly good. Lord, you have done more than we could ever begin to think or imagine. Right here in our midst. And as we look back to see what you've done and where you've taken us, when humanly speaking, it was flat out impossible. And yet, Lord, a church of faithful men and women who stand and say, you know, it is humanly impossible, but with God everything is possible. And we could stand in the midst of the Jordan River, even though the current was flowing and the water was up to our necks, yet still believing that we weren't here by accident. And God was going to carry us through. Lord, that's exactly what you did. You did what none of us could ever believe could be done humanly. You did something that was far greater than any one of us could ever begin to do. You have raised up a church that reaches out in the name of Jesus Christ to a community who needs Jesus. You are accomplishing things here, and not only here, but in Africa, in Mexico, in places around the world that has its beginning right here in this church. Lord, you are just incredible the way you show us that you are willing to use ordinary Sinful people who have faith that you are willing to use those people to accomplish greater things. For greater things are yet to come and greater things are still to be done right here in this city. We love you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the privilege of being back among the people we love.
In Jesus' name, amen.